The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This week's episode of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling broadcast, is brought to you by the recently updated HTM Podcast Network online at hittingthemarks.com. Also brought to you by Hameen Media. Two feeds now for your listening pleasure. Hackerhameen.podbean.com and Hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. We're also available over at the PW Hustle, pwhustlenetworks.podbean.com and syndicated by our friends over at ndpw.com. You can find Destino wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, be it Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, Apple, Google, or iHeartRadio. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Ted McNaylor, also known as the Man Beast. 16 years of pro wrestling experience but he'd never watched a New Japan show. So this very special episode is an entirely outside perspective. We did run a little bit long, so we'll have a little bit shorter stardom report covering the Goddess Tag League standings in the final. So let's go ahead and jump into it. But first, my friends from Down Under, this is Knife Party. You blocked me on Facebook, and now you're going to die. All right, so we are back with the stardom report. As I mentioned there off the top, we're going to have a little bit shorter stardom report today. And thankfully, that works out because the Goddess Tag League is finally wrapped up. So what we're going to do, I'll go over the final show from November 8th, 2020, the Goddess Tag League final show, which you can find now on stardom-world.com. We'll run through all of the results, and I'll give you the final standings. Then we'll talk a little bit about what they've got coming up on their next two shows, which are already out November 14th and November 15th. Start off with the November 8th show, the Goddess Tag League Final. Wing Gori, the team of Hanan and Saya, defeat the team of Color Me Pop, Riho, and Goiken Death. Both teams already eliminated from the tournament, but this is a big win for Wing Gori, as this was their only win inside of the tournament. Up next, we have an Oedo tie battle between the Devil Duo of Saki Kashima and Natsuko Tora, defeating the team of Black Widows, Bia Priestley and Konami. The Black Widows eliminated by the leader of their own faction, Tora, when she busts out the chain. Tora's presence absolutely increasing almost every show now, where it seems like she's really coming into this role as a leader of Oedo Tai. After the match, Bia Priestley takes to the microphone. She says, Oedo Tai is fine. Momo sucks. This seems to be B's new uh, gimmick inside of stardom. Everybody sucks, but Momo sucks the most. It's actually pretty damn funny. I'm enjoying it very much. I did expect B to be a little bit more upset that she was eliminated by her own stablemates inside of this tournament, but not to be the case. The goddess champions, Aphrodite, the team of Utami and Saya, defeat the team of Dream H, Tam Nakano, and Mina Shirakawa. Dream H, before the match, really putting over that, you know, if they could just win this match, they would get a shot at the goddess tag team championships. 
Not to happen today. Mina versus Utami, though, it seems as though that feud is building. That could be something to look out for when it comes to the red belt. Mina Shirakawa and Utami, it seems that they debuted at the same time, and Mina is not happy that Utami has risen up through the ranks while she is set rather stagnant. We're also starting to see a bit of tension between Tam Nakano and Mayu Iwatani. If Mayu would retain the red belt, perhaps that, that would be the next feud. Tam Nakano moving into that spot. We all know that you can't trust Tam. She doesn't get along with anybody for very long. Momo AZ defeat the MK sisters to move into first place of the B block. The blue block, as I'm calling it. Momo and Kid start off. They have an absolute incredible chemistry. This is the best I've ever seen Momo Watanabe look inside of the ring. Paired opposite of the Starlight Kid. You never know who you're going to have chemistry with. This is an absolute perfect example of that. Momo AZ move into first place of the blue block. Then we have a DDM battle. Donna Del Mundo face off as Crazy Bloom takes on Grab the Top. Crazy Bloom getting the win and moving into first place of the red block, which then leads us to the battle. Momo AZ versus Crazy Bloom for the Goddess Tag League Championship and the championship rings that come with it. Momo AZ defeating the team of Crazy Bloom to win the Goddess Tag League. Momo takes to the microphone and explains that she doesn't suck. So now it's going to be Momo AZ versus Aphrodite, both members of Queen's Quest, for the Goddess Tag Team Championships. Funny how that tends to work out, right? So here were your final standings for the Goddess Tag League in the red block, the red goddesses standings, Crazy Bloom with six points, the MK sisters, Mayu Iwatani and Starlight Kid finish with four points, Aphrodite, the t defending champions, finish with five points, the devil duo, Natsuka Tora and Saki Kashima with four points, and Wengori getting their only win at the final, finishing up with two points. In the blue block, the blue goddesses, Black Widows with seven points, coming up just short of Momo AZ, Momo Wantatabe and AZM with eight points. Grab the top, Siri and Haimika with six points. Color Me Pop, Goiken Death and Riho with four points. And Dream H, the disappointment of the tournament. A lot of good matches, but not very many wins. Tam Nakano and Mina Shirakawa finishing up with four points. Coming up on the next episode of Destino, we will run through the 14th and the 15th shows. On the show on the 15th, the big show, Mayu Iwatani defends the World of Stardom Championship against five-star Grand Prix winner Utami Hayashida. Wonder of Stardom title on the line is Julia defends against Konami. SWA title, Bia Priestley versus Shuri. AZM defends the High Speed Championship against Koigen Death. Momo Watanabe versus Haimika. The Future of Stardom Championship on the line, Micah versus Saya. Six-woman tag, Dream H, Tam Nakano, and Mina introduce ZZ, their newest member, versus Oedo Tai. Natsuko Tora, Saki Kashima, and Hina. And a six-woman tag between Starlight Kid, Hanan Ryo versus Saya Kamatami, Hina, and Lady C making her debut. So that's going to wrap things up for the Stardom Report. We'll go ahead and throw it over to the break. We'll be right back on the other side with the Man Beast, Dr. Ted McNaylor. Stick around.
single time mark. We're back with a very special segment, too. This will be the first time that I've gotten to sit down and actually review a show with this gentleman. Ladies and Gaijin, please welcome my second favorite, Dr. Ted, Dr. Ted McNaylor, Beast. Welcome to Destino, my friend. Well, you know, kind of for the second time, but this time we're actually going to make it count. <laughs> That's right. You know, uh, when when you got uh, when I tried to watch the first show, all I knew was the word power struggle as the show was called power struggle. And so I go scrolling through and for some reason, the first power struggle show that I see I clicked on. Well, I didn't realize this was the road to power struggle show. So I watched the entire show. It took me a couple uh, days to watch it all and I, we get ready to sit down and review it and then as you start getting into the matches I say wait a minute the, the na- names I have are different than the names <laughs> you're telling me and then we came to realize that I had watched an entire show that was the I guess the the lead up to Power Struggle and it was a very different show and, uh, and this one far and away was was a much better show uh, and uh, I was glad to, to still have this time to sit down and watch it. But, man, I can't believe I. <laughs> so, if anything, I guess I got, I got a little more context uh, for, for this show uh, a little bit since it was lead up. But I tell you what, I was I was sick, sick of seeing six man tag matches by by the end of it. That's yes. for sure. But this, welcome to this New was, Japan. Hell, man. Yeah. But but there was no tag matches on this show. These were all singles matches. And, and I'd, I'd have to say that I thought this was, uh, again, a much better show. And I, I enjoyed it. I, I was really glad to sit down and watch. And there was some stuff we'll get into, some nitpicky things. But overall, as, as just being entertained by something, I, I thought this was an entertaining show. And I'd say I enjoyed it. Well, let's let's talk about some things. Let's talk about the show before we talk about the wrestling. Um, what did you think of the overall presentation? I mean, now you've seen a show from Corrick and Hall, and now you've seen a show from the EDN Arena in Osaka. Two very, very different kind of presentations. But yes. what what did you think of the presentation of the two shows? One being more, you know, like a, a Monday Night Raw house show kind of situation, and one being a more pay-per-view presentation. Yeah, so I, I will say I, I thought the this show far and away presentation wise was much more. Uh, it just had more pizzazz, I guess, for lack of a better word. I, I when when I thought the other show was the power struggle show, and knowing this was a big pay per view show, I was I I did question. I was like, man, this isn't quite what I imagined it to be. I thought it looked a little, you know, it just low as far as from a presentation standpoint. I just thought that it was kind of a lower production. But th- this show, the true power struggle show. I thought it was great. I, I love the production. It did remind me of, of just a pay-per-view, but the presentation was different than your typical American wrestling. Like I, I love the announcers. Like even the parts I didn't understand when the, the Japanese announcers were talking and it was showing the wrestling and, and they did get excited and they worked their way up like, and they get all excited about it. And I, I love that. I really do. Like I've always found the Japanese culture in general to be very endearing. In fact, that's, that's on my bucket list of places I'd, I'd love to go at some point. Granted, I know it won't be anytime soon because of, uh, you know, we're in a global pandemic, but e- either way, I've I've always been fascinated with the Japanese culture, and I'd love to have a visit someday. And uh, so I, I thought, from a presentation standpoint, right off the bat, even though I didn't understand what they were saying, I still had a gist of the angles that were going on, and I could tell the from the uh, just the sound of the announcer's voice, that the voiceover person, that this was exciting and this made it feel like something like a can't miss event. And so right off the get go, I I thought, you know, already I could tell this was an important show, which was great. So did you watch it with the Japanese commentary or did you watch it with Kevin Kelly, Rocky Romero and Chris Charlton? I I watched it with the, uh, the English commentary. What did you think of the English commentary? I think in the beginning, 
I think in the beginning it was uh, it still had some of the Japanese maybe voiceover, but uh, I thought overall it was good. So, uh, who was it again? Remind me. It's uh, Kevin Kelly is the the lead okay. uh, play by play commentator. Um, Rocky Romero then is on color, who has been around for eons, very well known in the California independent wrestling scene. He's also done a lot of work with Ring of Honor, um, and then you have Chris Charlton, who is a true historian. Like the guy has literally written books about the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, and I think wow. the three of them have a, a very, very nice blend. Um, but I, I, I say so, especially because I didn't realize there was three of them. So that that's very telling. The fact that they have that much of a chemistry together that's that's awesome. Because I'll say that chemistry is something that takes time to build. And so, obviously, I'm sure they put the time in. But uh, that, that's amazing to me. I really thought it was two guys. So kudos to them. They, they did a great job. And I love the way that New Japan approaches the entire concept of a sports-like presentation, which is one of the things that we hear thrown around here in the States all the time because Western pro wrestling is much more storyline-based. It's not all about what's happening inside of the ring like it is in Japan. But, I mean, even in the commentary, they're getting into, you know, Hiroshi Tanahashi's record in Osaka is this. And head-to-head, you know, these guys have faced off four times over the course of seven years, and their record is two and two. This is going to be the rubber match between them. Little details like that, that's what makes it a sports-like presentation. Pro wrestling is going to be pro wrestling. It's all in the presentation of how you present professional wrestling. Yeah, I, I like that they take the extra time to educate the viewer on what's going on because, you know, th- that's what makes people uh, obsessed as fans. Like, you know, I even remember as a kid, I, I would try to keep track of uh, uh, all the championship reigns and, and who would win on what dates. Like, I just was a nerd like that. But people love that. People love, you know, figuring out basketball stats or baseball stats. So why not have wrestling stats and give people a reason to obsess over it? Because you're just going to create more loyal fans because then they can look back at their childhoods and remember all the stats that they would look up uh, with all the wrestlers. And then they go on and, and share that with their their family later down the line. So I think I think that's great that they try to present it that way, because I think that helps to create more more meaning for what they're doing. You bring up going to Japan. And of course, I would love to go to Japan, too. But, you know, there's this thing called the coronavirus. But at least in yeah. Japan, they have an audience in attendance. In fact, in the, inside of the EDN for this show, they had almost 3000 people. But everybody is masked. All they're allowed to do is clap and stomp their feet. You you don't hear people yelling. You don't hear people screaming all the time. Not that you normally do in Japanese culture. I mean, this is very much the Japanese presentation. Do you think American fans could do that? Like if we said we're going to let 3000 people into this arena, but you're not allowed to cheer. All you can do is clap and stomp your feet. There's no way American fans would go for that. Unfortunately, I was going to say, I'll say, unfortunately, no, I don't think so. It, 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 it's you said it all right, hit the nail on the head. It's a culture thing. It's just the Japanese culture is more, you know, they they feel if if an authority if an authority is telling them they need to do something, they listen, and that's just you know the way that they have much more trust in their government than than we do in ours. Honestly, it's part of what it comes down to, also. Um, so no, I don't, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think something like that would work on, you know, honestly, I, you know, it, the way they've been doing it, it, I guess other than having an outdoor show, you know, it, it's, it'd be really hard to, to make that happen feasibly. Yeah. I, I just don't see any way that Americans would go for that. And it, it's just, it's fascinating watching the way the Japanese government has handled things, the way the Japanese fans react to things versus how the American government has reacted to things. It's 
such a contrast following global politics on that scale is just fascinating. Do you know how they are doing as far as uh, controlling the pandemic? Well, the problem in Japan, you brought up trust in the government. And for the most part, I agree that they have more trust in their government than we do. But I feel like that's more of an indictment against our government. Uh, Going back to World War II, and when we dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, when Japan drafted their new constitution, it is right in the constitution that the federal government is not allowed to shut down the country because that's what happened during Hiroshima and Nagasaki and they lost so many people. So yeah. it's actually illegal. They can't do it. But wow. on contrast, when the prime minister at the time, Abe, comes out and says this is what we need to do. The Japanese people are like, okay, then that's what we'll do. You know, like they they don't have that sense of rebellion that the American people do, you know, and in some ways that's good. And in some ways that's bad. I mean, because, you know, freedom is that it's freedom, but the Japanese are just like, okay, you know, but the other thing is, Asian culture in general, whether it be Japan or whether it be Korea, whether it be China, it's a mask culture to begin with. So, you know, they they did kind of a soft lockdown at the beginning of this thing, and then they figured it out. And so you have people in an arena that just clap their hands and stomp their feet. But guess what? They get to go to wrestling shows. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It, it it almost I'm I'm still trying to ponder this. Do you feel maybe it comes down to values as well, and and having one culture po- possibly valuing freedom over safety, that being America versus they they value their safety more so than freedom, and that's and, you know well it's said. not saying one's not saying that one's wrong. It's just saying that's from a cultural standpoint what what they value more. Yeah. No. That's that's actually very well said. You know, and I think uh, uh, there's still a big part of it where you get into like grandparents that lived through the bombs going off and remembering that time. And yeah, there's they still have a culture there that, you know, when grandpa or grandma says something to me, I pay fucking attention to it, you know, and so they don't view themselves in the same context that Americans do, because our generation, like. Honestly, what struggle did we live through? You know, like it's not like we were fighting world wars in our generation. And there's so much of that that's just been lost, you know? Yeah, I agree. What do I know? So let's go ahead. Let's talk about power struggle. But first, I got to tell you that the power struggle review is brought to you by Stevie Richards Fitness.com, as well as our friends over at Pro Wrestling Tees. Let's face it, 2020 has sucked, and it just keeps getting suckier and suckier and suckier. But get ready for a brand new you in 2021. Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com. Get down with Stevie's yoga program or his resistance band training program for pennies on the dollar compared to a lot of these other big programs out there that, let's face it, they just don't work. While you're online, head over to ProWrestlingTees.com. Grab yourself some gear from Stevie Richards, the Ayatollah Ben Hameen, the Conspiracy Horseman, and of course... A lot of the New Japan pro wrestling talent. So, Doc, I I, I got to ask you. Last show that you watched, it was full of six-man tags, but you said you, the first match on the show, that was your favorite match. Gabriel Kidd versus <laughs> Yoda Suji, the young lions out there tearing it up. We didn't get young lions on this show. Instead, we start the show off with fucking Yano. 
fucking Yano, the jokester of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Dr. Ted, you got to see your first Yano match. What do you think of Yano Toru? Well, I have to say first that I, I will retract my previous statement from the episode that, that didn't air uh, in which I said the first episode or the first episode, the first match was the best. Uh, <laughs> that was not that was not the case on this show. I, as a matter of fact, I, I will put it over that it's, for me, the main event was it, despite, you know, its own nuances that will go over. I thought the main event was the best match on the show, as it should be. So I, I thought this this was an appropriately worked show as far as well, to a degree, top to bottom. Now, I'll say. Uh, it, the, Yano was very interesting. I, I'll say <laughs> I, I don't mind gimmick matches. Actually, I, I, I like the no turnbuckle gimmick if it's put over properly, which unfortunately we, we didn't see it, it put over in the way that it necessarily I would have. But uh, but also, the, in my opinion, and this is truly my opinion, it's, I feel like starting off any big wrestling show, you want to start off with basic wrestling. You don't want to start off with a gimmick match. So I thought that was peculiar to me to start off with a gimmick match that being said i'm not saying it, it doesn't have its place and some may disagree but for for me in my opinion i feel like uh this would be better like as a second match usually you put your more gimmicky match right after the first to kind of bring the crowd you know it's where they're still excited but to give them a little haha before you get back to the serious wrestling yano is something else and i hate him so much i hate him so much but the way i judge a good yano match is at any point during the match, did I laugh? And this match goes 12 minutes and 11 seconds with Yano defeating Zack Sabre Jr. via countout when he ties Zack's shoelaces together through the outside barricade and Zack couldn't figure out how to get out of it. Um, I didn't laugh. Like, and, and I think part of it for me was because it was so similar to the G1 match and how this thing was set up. I, Ted, did it make you laugh? It, it did make me laugh. It, it was something different that I hadn't seen before, and I didn't expect it. <laughs> so it, I did laugh. And honestly, there were some things about this match that I didn't mind. I, I'll, I'll say the one the one grievance I had really with this match is they had this great gimmick, which I, I thought, again, as a gimmick, it's great. But then and, – and they they teased it from the very beginning. It, it easily educated the viewers that the buckles were dangerous. And so it was it – was, anyone that took a turnbuckle, you know, it was they putting over that it would hurt. Until they completely ruined it by having the Yano take two buckles in a row. In my opinion, they should have teased that throughout the match, and, and it really should have led to the finish. Or at the very least, if he was going to take it like he does the goofy character anyway, he should have way oversold it and powdered it out and you know did the ha-ha thing on the floor just after taking one. But to take two in a row, it, it kind of undermines the, the first one. You know what I mean? Uh, not to get too you know nitpicky, but... I also feel it would have done more favors for the stuff they did do that was good to to work it more. Does that make sense? I like the idea of the no corner pads. I, I kind of wish they would have done it like it was a four corners match. Like that, that to yeah. me would have really put the gimmick over. True. And, and the crowd could have, well, I guess they couldn't count along, but still they'd be able to to clap along with the corners. You know, I'm sure they would if, if that was the case. Um, but yeah, either way, that, that would have been a good way to go about it, but I still didn't feel it was used to its potential. 
Um, and also, and this is, uh, you know, I, I know it's just the style of wrestling here, but I'm, I will say I'm not a big proponent of uh, fighting on the floor from the very first match because it, it makes when they fight on the floor later, not as meaningful. It'll, it, not, not that it always has to follow the same formula, but generally if, if the first few matches are just left in the ring and then when they finally go to the outside, it's like, holy shit, this one's built to the outside. It just, it creates that much more excitement. But from the get go, if they do it now, you're setting that as the standard and then it makes all the other matches have to set the bar higher, which granted, at least I felt like all the other matches after this point did continue to build but it still makes it a lot easier when they don't do it the very first match across from yano you have zach saber jr um have you gotten to see much of zach's work i I, he primarily works overseas he doesn't work in the states very often have you gotten to see zach work before uh, no, I haven't. This was my, actually everybody on the show, with the exception of uh, Kenta, because I realized he he was Hideo Tommy. I guess he had a cup of coffee and WWE. And uh, I'll be honest, uh, being in the bubble, I haven't uh, watched a lot of these guys. But so th- this was my first experience with both of these gentlemen. And I, and I thought Saber he had some really excellent technical work in there, uh, and I really appreciated that. You could tell he's a hell of an athlete, and he he's got a good head on his shoulders. There, there were a couple little things like I did like he, he did all this great technical work on the leg on Yano and then and then he whipped him off and, and, and ran him to the ropes. And it's like, well, it, you just made your own stuff look not as good because you did all this great leg work. But I guess it didn't hurt him that bad because he was able to run afterwards. Uh, and that's on Yano too. Like Yano should have, as he whipped him, that would have, again, it would have made his character, the you know, he does the ha-ha thing. You know, he just he falls down the ground and rise in pain. Ah! You know what I mean? That that would it would have put over Saber, and it would have also really put over Yano because he gets his character over. You know what I mean? Um, we can't put Yano over. We can't continue to put Yano over. Ted, the the way that this is looking, he is going to be the king of pro wrestling for 2020, which might be the best metaphor for 2020 yet. I mean, Toru Yano, the king of pro wrestling. <laughs> So stupid. I hate these. I hate these matches. So it begins. (laughs) I do enjoy Petulant Child, Zack Sabre Jr. Um, When he could not figure out how to get out of that barricade, his comedic timing is just spot on, which for a wrestler of his talent is going to be it's the rivalry between Zack and Yano will go on for years because if there's you're guaranteed at least one match a year inside of the G1 climax where these two guys are going to end up squaring off. And that's going to quickly become one of those highlights of the G1. We did that with Kenny Omega for years. Kenny'd go out there and have like, you know, these seven star classics with Kazuchika Okada, but you would know there was that one match a year where he was going to face off with Yano and it was going to end up with just absolute <laughs> stupid shenanigans. And you could just go off of the deep end, kind of like he has in AEW for the last year. I, I like that. You know, as, as much as I know you don't like him, I will say as, as a worker, and, and you know, I, I still got a few more matches left in me. I I would actually love to work Yano. That I would have a lot of fun with him. I feel like it would be all gimmick, and uh, but I think I think we'd have a lot of fun. And I, and I, I Jargo, I'm, I I feel like we would make you, or I I would help influence you in, in liking a Yano match. What if I what if I worked up Jargo? Well. It, it has happened. I mean, like, I have seen matches okay, okay, where, where yeah. I will be like, that was a very good Yano match, you know? Like, uh, That's it, fair. it was. That's fair. During uh, the G1 this year, it backfired on Yano. And uh, during one of the matches, his opponent, I'm pretty sure it was Kenta, actually taped Yano to the entrance 
so that he couldn't yeah. run back to beat the 20 count and he ended up getting counted out. But then the problem was Kenta had to exit through that entrance. So Yano's standing there like trying to kick him while he's still like taped to the whole freaking entrance. And that was hilarious. That's, the that's problem awesome. that is awesome. My problem with Yano is it seems like he has like about eight or nine bags of tricks, and that's it. And gotcha. and and so We've the Yano match point. gets repetitive. Okay, that's and I'd say that's that's a fair criticism, especially since you've been following this product a lot longer than I have. And so I guess from my standpoint, the novelty of of Yano is still there. Versus, I'm sure that's worn off at this point. If if you've seen this for years on end, yeah, that, that's. Yeah, I, I think it was the guys at the Super J cast that I first heard say, you know, if a Yano match makes me laugh, it was a successful Yano match. And it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I can I can get down with that. And that's how I feel about Yano. Absolutely. By comparison, in your second matchup at Power Struggle, absolute violence as Shingo Takagi defeats Minoru Suzuki to reclaim the never open weight championship with the last of the dragon also known as the Bad Motherfucker Championship in New Japan Pro Wrestling. This was uh, very different than Yano versus Zack Sabre Jr. I, I'm, I'm guessing that you might have liked this match a little bit more. Yeah, uh, th- this was definitely more violent. And I will say from, from the very get-go, before before the bell even rang, the they made the match just feel important. They, they both had a great presence about them. And, and to me, that's that's one of those things that, you you know, you can't necessarily teach. You got to have that it factor. You can tell they had a lot of confidence in themselves. They understood who their characters were and it made the match feel important again before they even touched. But then as soon as they touched, this is where, again, that's just a, a whole different style that that I have. I, I just felt they completely buried each other's forearms and they are, you know, they they looked like they were killing each other. They probably, I'm sure they probably were, but I just imagine if they would have just taken a few seconds to put them over and really let the crowd hear. And, and you know what I mean? I just feel like they would have got more mileage instead of, and I've just never been a fan of the one, two, one, two back and forth, just because I feel like it undermines the, the, the great shots that they did. We don't go wrong with it. It's great. The shots they got on each other. I mean, I, I, you're not going to see me, you know, necessarily hit someone that hard but i'll say you know i appreciate it from just a inter- entertainment standpoint like okay and that makes sense this is the bad motherfucker title so you got to make them look like bad motherfuckers but if you're going to do that i feel like it would it would get more out of it to do less and sell more that holy shit like he just took a badass motherfucking shot and now he's going to come back and give his you know what i mean and and let the crowd really register and, and again that's just my personal opinion it's it's funny that you bring that up because one of the things that i have listed underneath the this match in my notes is fighting spirit and this is one of those things i almost feel like i have to explain to people when they first start watching new japan pro wrestling because i'm with you i hate that spot but that spot is in just about every Japanese pro wrestling match that you're ever going to see. and bas- I, I did learn that. I learned that tonight. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and basically what it is, is the audience loves it. And it's just proving which one's the better man. I'm going to stand in the middle of this ring, and you're going to stand in the middle of this ring, and we are just going to throw forearms at one another. And I'm with you. I hate that spot. And I'm pretty sure that we hate that spot for the same reason. 
Because the reason I hate that spot was when I interviewed Al Snow about a year and a half ago, and he explained to me that a punch to the face is the fakest thing in all of professional wrestling. So I hate that freaking spot now, all because of Al Snow. Thank you, Mr. Snow. Well, I was going to say that's that's where I get it from too, because I you know I, I studied under him for a long time. So yes, <laughs> it, but it's I mean it, but it it's true. And, and there were actually moments in the show. I'll say in the main event they had a great one two spot where they did sell and it was meaningful. And I was like this is this is good. And I don't know. I I, I feel like th- th- it's one of those things where the fans might say that they like the other way better, but then when you actually sit down and listen to the reactions where the, the reaction these guys got versus what the main event got when they did it slower, I'll say, now granted, maybe the stories and the characters are more over in the main event, but either way, I felt like the reaction they got later in the show when they did it properly got a much better reaction than when they did it here. Overall, they still got a great reaction, but I still feel like they could have so much more if they put it over more. Shingo and Suzuki, one of my uh, finalists for Feud of the Year for 2020. These two guys have been beating the hell out of each other for months now. It's absolutely great. Every time. Every time. I just love it. Um, but the, the thing I loved the most about this match, and this is another one of those things that I have to try to explain, and, and you saw it when you watched Gabriel Kidd and Yota Suji in, in the first show that you watched. This entire matchup was built around the Boston Crab. And, no. and, and and the reason that it was built around the Boston Crab was out of pure disrespect. The most basic move that 52-year-old Minoru Suzuki has mastered over his 30 years of professional wrestling, and he had ingo- injured Shingo's back on the road to power struggle with the Boston Crab. But putting someone in the Boston Crab, that's like the most disrespectful pathetic thing that you can do to somebody because they even let the young lions do that move that's kind of the the, the inference uh, okay there. yeah and and weren't you saying like as a as a young lion you you can only use certain moves right in the yeah. beginning and so so okay so i i, I get that it's, it's interesting see because we don't have anything necessarily like that in 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 american wrestling so that but i do like that you know that that story of you know because it's it's such a basic move that even the the young boys are allowed to use it that that was it was that much disrespect. I like that. That's good. Yeah, little little nuances like that that they have added to this feud over the course of the months now. It's just absolutely fantastic. A feud just getting started. Kazuchika Okada and that evil bastard Will Osprey, who turned on his big brother, and now he's got his bodyguard fighting Kazuchika Okada at Power Struggle. The Great Okan in his debut match loses to the Rainmaker in 12 minutes and 58 seconds via ref stoppage with the worst submission hold in all of professional wrestling. The money clip, it still looks like shit. (laughs) I... I, I feel bad that this is your introduction to Kazuchika Okada because Kazuchika Okada is one of the greatest professional wrestlers on the face of the planet, but they have, they're doing this story with Okada where he has kind of lost himself since the last time he lost the championship and he's trying to reinvent himself and he's doing it with shitty submission moves with shitty names that look like shit. And he's going out and having 13 minute matches with the great Okan who is making his debut as he returns from excursion. I mean, there's so many different ways to look at this. What they're trying to do is make Okan straight out of the gate. As he returns from excursion, he goes after the top guy. It fuels the feud between Osprey and Okada. It all makes sense, but this is not 
anywhere remotely close to a top 50 list of, oh, you want to start watching Japanese pro wrestling? You have to see Kazuchika Okada versus the Great Okan. Well, I, I guess I'll have to watch more Okada matches then. But but I will say, and, and you might disagree with me here, is I, I thought we're on the third match of the show. I thought this match was was in in this order so far the best match in the show. I thought this was better than the previous match, uh, and I, I I was impressed with Okada here. So I I would be very interested to see more of his work. Uh, at, at this point, we're in the third match, and they're they're fighting on the floor again, though. So I, I've stopped paying attention at this point. I've noticed that's just a, a trend. Uh, but the jump start in this match actually meant something and you could feel the crowd react to it because Okada actually sold here. And I, this, I was so appreciative of, so that tells me a lot that this guy's a pro, especially you put him over like that, that he knows how to put a guy over. And so, and, and that is something that I will say that it's, it's a great honor in wrestling to be able to help a young talent uh, uh, come up. And so I say, knowing that having that background, knowing that Okada's had all these great matches and, and doing this favor for Okan, basically, that's that's fantastic. And to me, that that actually makes me like him that much more. The fact that, you know, he, he took this kid and and had a great little match with him, even though, you know, that he can go at higher levels. The fact that he, he you know, essentially put this kid over Okan uh, to me, that speaks volume to him as a professional. I, Okada is just absolutely fantastic. And, and I thought commentary did a great job during this match as well telling the story of Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi when Okada was the brash young upstart who came in and beat the ace in Osaka and was this going to be another rainmaker shock? And so they, they put Okan over huge. I mean, when you return from excursion and night one, you're putting out Kazuchika Okada, you join up with Will Ospreay to form a brand new faction. And Ospreay is just doing a knockout job at being a pompous prick right now. He's just absolutely unbearable. He's like a British version of Ric Flair right now. That's very much what Will Ospreay reminded me of, especially in that post-match promo. Yeah, I, I was going to talk about that. I, I genuinely laughed out loud the fact that every time he took a pregnant pause during his promo, no matter what, the crowd just politely clapped. <laughs> well, and, and I was that, like, he's, he's cutting a heel promo, and there's like, oh yeah. Well, and and that's the bad thing about the Japanese audience right now—they can't boo either, but they want to make noise, so they end up clapping for heels, you know, just because they want to make noise, but yeah. they can't vocally boo him. Right. I like that. I do like that, though. And I'll say this is a very small nitpicky thing. And, and, and you know, some might disagree here. I'd, I'd say the only small thing I'd say, because he had a great presentation, a great look about him. I, I would have, if I were him, I would have taken those glasses off, though. And the, and the only reason is, is because he looks great and it makes him look more like a superstar. I feel like with the, the seeing glasses, I, I can see what he was probably going for, probably trying to look more distinguished and, and uh, you know, highbrow, but at the same time, I feel like it, it makes him look more like an everyman to have, you know, uh, seeing eyeglasses on. Uh, and not saying he couldn't come out with it, but I would have liked for him to take him off at one point and, you know, just you know, give give him a look. And it's just such a nitpicky thing, but, you know, you also have to think about how you're presenting yourself at the same time. But I, I did like, like him here, and it made me, again, realize that he knew who his character was, and he had a presence about him, and, and you could certainly feel it in, in his promo. 
Osprey issuing the challenge for Wrestle Kingdom. It's going to go down night one of Wrestle Kingdom, January 4th, inside of the Tokyo Dome. And for the love of God, I hope that the Rainmaker shows up and not this impersonation of Kazuchika Okada. Because there is, they're going to have 20,000 people at Wrestle Kingdom. It's going to be socially wow. distanced, but inside the Tokyo Dome, 20,000 people, I don't know how it's going to sound, you know? Like because be there's going to be so much space inside of there. Yeah, it's going to be. And, I, and, gen, and, and I'll say generally from an acoustic standpoint, that's that's usually not not good. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, we'll see. Yeah, you know, I, I I can tell you from doing just various house shows up and down the road when we'd wrestle in these you know big uh, you know type stadiums, and especially if it wasn't full. It just you, especially for, for like no big announcements and things like that. It just yeah, it just echoes into the background, and you can't hear anything. And that's one thing that I have noticed, even in watching WWE TV. Like Oscar has thrived during this entire pandemic, and that's no surprise to me because when they went to no fans, Oscar's used to working in front of you know quiet crowds like this where they're so much more vocal in the ring just like the the vocal emotion in japanese wrestling is one of those things that i think is very very different than what we hear in the west i i would agree so although I, i'll say uh in general i i feel like I, I i agree i like that a lot but uh i'll say that's something that i i did pick up i feel like at some point i guess working with rip or whatnot and and part of it is uh, it helps with breathing. You, and if you go to back to old, maybe older American wrestling, you would see it more just hearing the ah, as they worked. But it actually helps you pace your breath and makes you be able to let, make your cardio last throughout the ring. And that's why in the old days, you'd see a lot of those old guys going to ha ha because, you know, they'd work, you know, every night, 40, 50, 60 minute matches uh, back in the day, too. And it doesn't happen as much anymore. When, when you make that sound, the first thing that pops into my head is Ric Flair. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, someone, someone like it, but you don't see it as often anymore. But I do like that Asuka does that because it shows, you know, that she's put the hours in of training. And I feel like when I work, trained under Rip Rogers, he would have us do the same thing. We'd have to work an hour of just straight wrestling the whole time. And, and he wanted to hear that we were working. It wasn't, you know, he'd say, I should be able to hear you beating the shit out of each other. And so we would literally do it. Uh, we do 30 minutes straight of just chain wrestling, working with different body parts, and we couldn't repeat anything. And then we'd have to do 30 minutes of heat on different body parts. Again, we couldn't repeat anything. Oh, and so, and, But he wanted to make sure that we we, we got our shit in and, and knew what we were doing. But because of that, because here's the thing, I'll say being in the weeds like that, all you think to yourself is this is bullshit. This isn't getting me any better. I'm just doing the same shit over and over again. But in reality, you're getting all those reps in to right. where no matter what what match you're in, even if that's where I, I would honestly feel comfortable if I didn't even speak English with these guys, I would just go in there and feel it out and then just feel comfortable with knowing how to work uh, because they, they put in the hours in just of the basics. And that's what it comes down to. And that's where you have people like Asuka and all these uh, guys that are coming up through this the Japan system. They're, they're so good because they, they just repeat the basics over and over again. So where they finally get to the point where they're doing this more elaborate stuff, it's that much more meaningful, which is great. I love that. I think it helps the sell job a lot, too. Um, like when you hear somebody on the mat just raving in pain, it's so different than when all you can do is see their face. You know, and, exactly. and, and and I think a lot of the talent, whether it be Nakamura, whether it be Io Shirai, uh, Finn Balor, who spent a lot of time over there, Kyle O'Reilly, 
the way that he sells his ass off. And some people think that he's too over animated, but it, I just think it's freaking great. But the audio just adds a whole nother layer to, wow, yeah, damn, that really hurt. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's another one of our senses. So why not take advantage of it? If, if people aren't hearing anything, then then you're not giving them uh, more of an opportunity to become basically drawn to the story that you're trying to tell in the ring. At this point, emotionally invested. That's what I was looking for. Emotionally invested is what you're trying to get. At this point during the show, they went to intermission for disinfecting the ring. So we'll go to intermission too. Here is a word from our friends over at Hami and Media. Hami Media Group continues to grow to new heights because of our loyal fan base and incredible sponsors. You followed us on our affiliate Hami Media Group channels for all of our awesome shows, including South Park Reviews, NFO Star Wars, and the Academy Star Trek Reviews, The Horror Junkyard, and all of our affiliate programming. We will continue to bring you the best in wrestling, conspiracy, and alternative media. Thank you for supporting our sponsors, subscriptions, sending bits, and promotion of the Hameen Media Group platform. Add both Hacker Hameen and Hameen Media Group on your iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube feeds. Thank you to the following sponsors. Zordos Olive Oil. Zordos Olive Oil is the finest artisan Greek olive oil on the market today. It's also the perfect holiday gift. You can make your family's favorite holiday recipe and they'll say it's the best thing they've eaten all year. It's imported. It's ultra premium Greek olive oil and it's available now at ZordosOliveOil.com. Again, that's ZordosOliveOil.com. Zordos Olive Oil. Taste the difference for yourself. The Coffee Roasters at thebroasters.com. A new five-pound bag of Vince Russo Bro Coffee is here. Stock up before the next lockdown, bro. Thebroasters.com is the only place to get the limited edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Get up and have a cup of bro, bro. Exclusively from thebroasters.com and russobrand.com. Use the official promo code BRO5LB when you place your order and you'll save some money, bro. At Hameen Media Group, we're all about self-improvement. Improve your mind and body with Stevie Richards Fitness. Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and take control of your fitness with Stevie's resistance band programs. These programs have been set up for every level of fitness. You can also try the brand new Stevie Richards Yoga Program to make sure your flexibility and balance improve so you can feel your best. Visit StevieRichardsFitness.com today and build a better you. ProWrestlingTees.com, the best way to support your favorite independent wrestlers, podcasts, and hosts from the Hami Media Group and Russo brand is to get their official merchandise exclusively at ProWrestlingTees.com. Support all of the great Hami Media Group talent by visiting their Pro Wrestling Tees stores, such as the Greek God Papadon, BWO Stevie Richards, Big Sal under SEG shirts, Chris Silvio, the superstar himself, and of course, Ben Hameen, Yala. Hey, Infidel. You want to become an official HMG operative? Well, now's your chance. Just follow us on Twitter at Hameen Media Group. Shoot us a request and we'll send you the invite link so you can join the brand new private Discord server under Hameen Media Group. You can also join us on Facebook in the Hameen Media Discussion Group and interact with the entire HMG army. Play along in the Pick'em Challenges. Hang out in the Watch Along threads and interact with the HMG hosts. You can also check out all of HMG's Conspiracy Horseman propaganda on our Instagram by following us at Hameen Media Group. Like, 
follow and share or be destroyed. Once again, thank you to all of our sponsors, subscribers, followers, guests, producers, and hosts of Hameen Media Group. 2.2 million downloads for Hameen Media Group is all because of your efforts and support. Now, let's get to the main event. Of course, we air on Hameen Media. We're on we're on the B team. We're on the B feed of the Hameen Media Group. But Dr. Ted, you are on Mondays and you are over at hackerhameen.podbean.com, the big boy, the big network. I'm still on AEW Dark. <laughs> You're on Dynamite. Tell oh, t- man, tell pe- tell people about the Monday locker room for, you know, maybe somebody who's listening to this that for one reason or another doesn't listen to the Monday locker room. Well, the Monday locker room is every Monday. Myself and, and the Ayatollah Ben Hameen, of course, you know, that he's been around up in the Northeast wrestling around, but he's also a great improv teacher and uh, and uh, social media mogul at this point. Uh, he, he helps a lot of businesses. But anyway, uh, we just shoot the shit every Monday all over all the latest wrestling news, and we just give it like it is, uh, talking from, from our inside during our time working in OVW while it was under a developmental system with WWE, as well as my time working with, with again, through OVW and their relationships with Impact Wrestling and Ring of Honor and all the people that we've had the, the privilege to interact with. And uh, we just basically work our way through the stories. And, of course, every Monday uh, people are treated to whether they like bad dad jokes or not uh, for the Monday morning monologue in which I, I try to find some of these stories and uh, just write write some jokes in regards to them. Kind of like, you know, your your old school, like tonight's show monologue where they'll go over the news stories, except I just talk about the wrestling news stories and then spin it to some kind of bad dad joke, which, uh, you know, I think people either love it or they hate it, but either way it's, it's a thing and it's, it's part of it. And we have a lot of fun over there. And so definitely uh, check us out. You can catch us on uh, every Monday morning. Uh, we usually start around eight 30 AM live, both on Twitch, twitch.tv backslash conspiracy horseman, or you can just go to the YouTube page at uh, Ben Hameen and to check us out there. But uh, Jargo, I feel bad that you feel like you're on, on the B squad. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want any, of, I don't want anyone on, on, the Hameen Media Group to feel that way only because I I truly as, as someone that helps to to you know work as I guess you know in a way kind of I don't want to say a management but you know for, for someone that tr- tries to help continue to build the brand I'd say that part of our reasoning is is we wanted you to have more shine uh, on your own because it, it just we had so much content on the one channel that it, you're you're this program which I I, I think is a great program to have because there's not too many places out there that that talk about uh, the new New japan wrestling and so i'm glad that we have a place for it and it just feels like we're having the opportunity to shine it more by placing it away from all the other shows that have your you know stevie richards and greek god papadon and all these guys that you know already have built their own followings outside of the homie media network and and have have your show really shine because you're doing a great job man and and I i don't think we say it often enough uh, I'm glad that you're recording again, and uh, I'm, I'm just hopeful. I'm hopeful we'll get more opportunities to re- record more shows together, man. But uh, I, I, I think the world of of your just uh, abilities as a performer and a professional, and uh, I think you're doing great stuff here, man. So don't, don't don't ever sell yourself short, Jargo. What I'm trying to say is you are an A quality player, my friend. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, see, you go and you put me over like that. Now I feel like a dick for bitching. I just like to bitch. I'll find something <laughs> to bitch about. Hell, you, you could move me to the main feed tomorrow, and I would be like, you know what? 
I, I, I need to move my show to like fucking Thursdays, okay? Because I can't be up against the Wednesday locker room. I just, I nope, I, 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 I bitch. That's, that's kind of the gimmick. It's man. a gimmick. That's the gimmick. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Speaking it. of bitches, let's talk about the ace. No, I, I feel bad even saying that. But this entire match was built around Hiroshi Tanahashi's hair. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, Tanahashi, clearly the bitch in this situation. Tanahashi falls to Kenta as he challenges for the right to challenge IWGP United States champion John Moxley at Wrestle Kingdom. He taps the ace out with the game over submission in 19 minutes and 57 seconds. I love Hiroshi Tanahashi, and I think that he's being misused right now. Like, Tanahashi is the John Cena of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And this has been a very, very down year for Tanahashi. He still looks great. He's out there trying to make stars left and right. I just, I feel like they could be using Tanahashi more. They could be relying on him more, especially in this era of the pandemic. Interesting. I thought he I I felt watching this as a first time viewer that he felt like a very important wrestler here. And and I thought, again, at this point in the show, this being the fourth match, I thought at this point that this was the match of the night at this point by, by a long way. I, I really like this match a lot. And so uh, that is interesting. I, I guess you feel like he's not getting enough wins or do you feel he's just not getting enough big, big opponents or main events? It, it just seems like at this point. It's almost like we're on the Tanahashi retirement tour where he is out there and he's just trying to make new guys and he's trying to elevate new guys. And that's great. And I appreciate the hell out of that. I appreciate him giving back in that way. But at a certain point, I feel like Tanahashi's got to win some matches, too. Like otherwise, at a certain point, you're just beating the old guy. And I feel like we're kind of getting to that point with Tanahashi where he needs some wins if we're going to keep Tanahashi relevant. And so when somebody beats him, it actually means something because it's starting to chip away at that Superman armor. Understandable. Would you say Kinto was, was someone that, that he should, should have beaten. It's difficult because I, I, I feel like at the end of this match, we are now going to get Kenta versus John Moxley at Wrestle Kingdom, at WrestleMania, the, the biggest show of the year inside of the Tokyo Dome. And there was absolutely a lot of people clamoring for Hiroshi Tanahashi versus John Moxley. Like, that's a dream match that we've never seen versus Hideo Itami versus Dean Ambrose. You know, it just it doesn't feel like it belongs on New Japan's biggest show of the year. So in that respect, I I could go with Tanahashi, you know, versus Moxley like that feels like a Wrestle Kingdom match. Interesting. I I, want to play devil's advocate for a little bit only because I'd have no idea on the business, but I almost think. Would you possibly think that at a business standpoint, the reason they want to put that match on is because they are recognizing the States and that allows fans to say, Oh, that's interesting. What's this? And because you know, the match that they're going to have at this show is going to be far superior than anything they did in, in, in the uh, fed. 
You know what I mean? And then it's like, holy shit. And then it makes a, a potentially an American fan say, I need to check out more of this New Japan shit because the fact that these guys went out there and they they were used, you know, I guess Dean Ambrose was kind of put over, but you know what I mean? But still, uh, Hideo Tommy definitely wasn't used to his fullest potential. But I still, I feel like you could possibly get more of that crossover from fans who recognize both uh, and and see them in that diff- way different light than what they're offered on a WWE program. Potentially that was their thinking. I, I have no idea. That's just a theory, but uh, you know, I, I think it possibly could do good business if if that was you know what what they were looking to do. I, the other big problem that I have at this point is now the the cards for Wrestle Kingdom are starting to become very very clear as we're seeing who the champions are, who the the contenders are based on the tournaments throughout the course of the year. I don't know what Tanahashi's going to do at Wrestle Kingdom, and I don't. I think this is the first year. That since I've been watching New Japan Pro Wrestling, that I don't know what Hiroshi Tanahashi's role is going to be at Wrestle Kingdom this year. Whereas if they if you would have done Hiroshi Tanahashi versus John Moxley, I feel like that could have been a semi-main event, either night one or night two. But Kenta versus Moxley, yeah, put it in the middle of the card either night. Is is Yano booked for Wrestle Kingdom yet? Well, he's the king of pro wrestling, so uh, clearly he will have a mashup at Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, he's the king of the kingdom. Well, then why not have Tanahashi versus Yano? You'd like that, wouldn't you? As long as Tanahashi beats the ever-loving <laughs> piss out of him, you know. I couldn't. I couldn't help myself, man. It was low-hanging fruit. I had. I had to bring it up. Well played. Well played. Yeah, tapped <laughs> out the ace. Tapped him out pretty well clean, too. For a Bullet Club match, this was pretty well clean. As clean as it can be when you hit somebody over the head with a briefcase. You know? Yeah, but at the same time, they didn't bury it either. Like, they used it earlier in the match, but he didn't pin after. I mean, th- this was a well-worked match, and they put over, for the most part, there was a couple no-sells, but in general, compared to everything else we've seen anyway, they, they put over the shit they were doing to each other, and it made it seem that much more meaningful. And I, I thought by a long shot, at this point in the show, this was the best match so far. All right, let's talk about what I thought was the best match on the show. I understand where, where where you would think that it was Naito versus Evil, but to me, it was that dirty knife pervert Switchblade Jay White defeating Kota Ibushi in 18 minutes and 47 seconds with a backslide and two feet on the ropes for the right to challenge for the double gold, the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship and the World or the Intercontinental Championship. This one was a heartbreaker. The 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 person who has held the briefcase was 16 and 0 going into this match. They had never taken the briefcase off of someone and I caught hell for this one. I, I caught absolute hell because I put it out there into the universe that I thought Switchblade could be the one in 16 and one. And sure enough, it was. Um, Ibushi 0-2 at Wrestle Kingdom last year. He wins the G1 back to back. One of the, I think there's only three men that have won the G1 back to back. Kota Ibushi, one of them. And then he goes and he loses the briefcase to Switchblade Jay White. Jay White just owns Kota Ibushi at this point. I, th- I think Ibushi in the last three matches against Switchblade is 0-3. And Ibushi was 
devastated. That's what really made this entire matchup for me. Just the, the, the agonizing look on Kota Ibushi's face when he heard Switchblade Jay White's music start playing and seeing Switchblade stand there with that damn briefcase devastated Kota Ibushi. It was like he went through the seven stages of grief in about 30 seconds, and now he's just pissed off Ibushi. He wants his briefcase back, but he's not going to get it. He's not going to get it because Switchblade Jay White owns Kota Ibushi. I thought this match was just absolutely fantastic. I thought it was even better than their G1 match, and that was a pretty good freaking match. Ted, what did you think? and, and I say, and don't get me wrong. There, there was a lot to like about this match. It's just a matter of I felt like it, for for building a show, especially when you consider the the main event had two ref bumps with repercussions. That's where I feel like from a presentation standpoint. So I'm not necessarily putting over like the work, although the work was very good. But I felt like it more felt like a main event, and thus being the the f- big finale for the show. But there was a lot to like here. I thought uh, the first time seeing Abushi, he, he looks like he could be a star anywhere like he looks fantastic like he looks like he literally could walk onto any program uh, whether it be you know the, the WEAW wherever and, and instantly he looks like a star uh, I really like the beginning here where uh, Jay White was playing cat and mouse a little bit it established uh, as a viewer the first time viewer he was the heel and uh, he took his time with it oh he's uh, also such like a the heat dick. spot they, yeah I like the heat spot with the manager he grabbed the foot uh, and then White grabbed Abushi's hair and took the big back bump on the apron. Like I was like, this is good. I mean, they were doing good old school heat stuff right there, establishing the heel, and, and I, I love that. Uh, the one thing, this is a nitpicky thing, so I know he's he's well uh, uh, established and, and has all kinds of accolades, but when, when you get hit in the corner in the stomach, Jargo, if I were to punch you in the stomach right now, wh- where would you put your hands? Immediately go to my stomach. Exactly. And and it's not just Ibushi. I've called other guys out on this, but when, when Jay White was going to town with the shoulder blocks and Ibushi's just keeping his hands up on the ropes, I just feel like, oh, come on. Because only because they were so good, this these guys were so good that little things like that, I'm like, oh, come on. This is such, such, such a nitpicky thing, but uh, I had to call it out. I feel like I was, I was obliged to, if anything. But that being said, I thought that, you know, the rest, otherwise, the work they did, I thought was was overall pretty good. I just, the some of the no-selling stuff, you know, I, you know, that's just part of, you know, what, what this type of wrestling is. And so I just, I try to ignore that. But I thought otherwise, you know, they did some really good stuff here. And I absolutely love the finish. When him putting his feet on the ropes and getting an old school heel finish. And uh, I thought that was great. The only, And again, the only thing there is I wish... Uh, even though I, I can see what you mean, I guess the scene with Jay White looking at him, now that you kind of explained the history, I, 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 I can see why that's more meaningful. But my first thought was when, when Jay White won by cheating, he should have just gotten the fuck out and just left. Because I feel like as a heel, like that's like it makes the fans that much more pissed off. Like, oh, he's like, you know, you like you got away with murder and, and you're you're getting in the getaway car and get out of here and still show Ibushi selling all the, the emotions. Uh but again, I, I can see based on the story that they've told throughout their their history that that was meaningful to have Jay White look at him and show that he had the briefcase. Jay White, the leader of Bullet Club, the biggest heel in the company. And I, I think for somebody who has never seen New Japan before, it takes you all of about three seconds to figure that out. As soon as that guy just walks out of the curtain, you're just like, oh, I want to see you get punched in the face. That guy. Yeah. Oh, and he's so good. He's only 27 years old. And he's Damn, that he's good. Got a, he's got a very bright future, that's for sure. 
So let's talk about the main event, which kind of goes hand in hand as Switchblade Jay White defeats Kota Ibushi. So his ticket is punched to the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. Who would he be facing in the main event? Would it be his stable mate, Evil? Or would it be his other rival, Tetsuya Naito? Naito winning this match and keeping a hold of the double gold in 33 minutes and 8 seconds. Um, I thought about 25 minutes of this match was really, really good. And then it just entered overbooked hell when you get Dick Togo out there and Yujiro out there and Sonata out there and Jay White comes out there and Ibushi out there. I, I have a question. I do have a question. Is is this Dick Togo from Kayentai fame? Yes, it is. From way back in the day? Wow. Yes, it is. As, as, uh, so as I take that back. There was one other person I recognized. <laughs> I thought they said Dick Togo. I was like, oh, is that? Okay. That's, choppy, that's choppy, your PP. You betcha. He, he's, had, he's had a long career then. So kudos to him. He looked a lot different. But at the same time, I mean, to know that, you know, over 20 years later, he's still, I mean, he's involved in the main event in, in New Japan. The, arguably, would you say this is the biggest promotion in Japan? Oh, yeah. Hands down. So, so I mean that's that's pretty awesome. So I'll, I'll say as as, as uh, I always I always love seeing uh, people that are what, what we call a uh, um, a uh, I can't think of the word a uh, now now I can't talk I'm stuttering a journeyman. Yes, uh, you know what I mean. Someone that's been around a long time. It's something I can really appreciate. So that was that was good. So I, I can see what you mean about the overbooking and it was overbooked. It, it, I, I thought it, though it was still otherwise. Uh, well done. I will say that I absolutely hate that they buried the the kick to the balls. Like to me, that that is inex- inexcusable because there's about five things only that a, a, yeah. your regular everyday person knows what it feels like. You know, like such so as getting you know, getting raked across the eyes or getting raked in general or having your hair pulled or being kicked in the balls. And then you completely buried it by having them kick out. So to me, that that's one of those things that, that, that as talented as these guys are, and I think both of them has very bright futures to me that's just inexcusable because you're you're now bearing you know what what people otherwise know what what they know what it feels if can feel real you know what i mean well and when i say overbooked hell i mean it's just, it's so rare to see this happen inside of a new japan pro wrestling main event but as i tell you the story it all kind of makes sense number one with evil and naito Evil turned on Tetsuya Naito and left Los and Gobernobles de Japón during the New Japan Cup and joined the Bullet Club. Kind of assumed their leadership while Switchblade Jay White was out of the country. So then that's when he brings in Dick Togo as to kind of be his his personal advisor, his mentor, his manager. So clearly this is the fifth match now between these two guys since New Japan started back up since the pandemic they've been feuding for months at one point evil even took the double gold only for naito to win it back yujiro takahashi comes out interferes in this match yujiro was actually tetsuya naito's original tag team partner when they had just come out of the dojo so yujiro has been screwing over naito for years at this point sonata who comes out to make the save evil's former tag team partner and the number two inside of los and gobernobles de japan with tetsuya naito and then of course you have jay white and ibushi and the entire story that plays out for wrestle kingdom as we go forward towards the biggest show of the year so i mean it all makes sense when you look at it on paper it's not like you know a wwe distraction finish but this was just so out of the ordinary 
Gotcha. Well, in that sense, that's all, that's almost even better, especially if it's not what they typically do. Because I, I thought here's the thing: is is it at least they built with with these uh, uh, ref bumps and the overbooking? Is the first one established that when the referee gets hurt, shit can go down, and so you don't expect it to happen again. So when it did. Immediately, as an invested viewer, I, I was excited. I was like, "Oh shit! We saw what happened last time. What the fuck's going to happen now?" So then, that's when when Jay White came out and did the thing, and I love that he teased uh, the turn on evil here. Because again, as, as a first time viewer, they had told the story wonderfully. So when he grabbed him, even I thought, "Oh shit! He's going to turn on him!" And then for him to put him back in the corner, masterful. That was great. That is heat. That that in a nutshell is heat. It, heat is one of three things, a desire, a want, or a need. And you felt as soon as he grabbed evil, as if he was going to hit him with the move, you could feel the, the, the crowd had the desire, the want, and the need for him to do it. And then he took it away. That's heat. That's the being other heel. thing That's I thought that wonderful. did as well as the heat was it really is because evil and Jay white have kind of been going back and forth. Like, because when Evil joined Bullet Club, he kind of assumed the leadership position, but that's because Jay White was out of the country. Now that Jay White is back in the country, there's kind of this struggle for power inside of the Bullet Club. And I felt like that was Jay White saying, listen here, you little motherfucker. I is the alpha. If I wanted to, I could end your ass right now. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you live another day. But you just realize I could have ended you right here, right now. And so I feel like it worked on multiple levels. Yeah. And so knowing those little nuances, that's just that's great storytelling right there. And that's what, you know, I feel like that they've got something that really I feel like can catch some eyes, especially as their their big Wrestle Kingdom event is is looming. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they do, and I'm especially excited to, to hopefully hear about some great numbers after the show and seeing how many people tuned in for it. So Jay White has established that he wants January 4th off. He will only <laughs> work night two of Wrestle Kingdom, and he will face the holder of the double gold. Tetsuya Naito, however, has decided he wants to work both nights of Wrestle Kingdom, and he will honor Switchblade Jay White's wish. He will face off with him in the main event of night two for the double gold, but he wants to defend the double gold also on night one. And he, Interesting. And he has decided that he wants to face Kota Ibushi. Inside of the Tokyo Dome, Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito, longtime rivals, and uh, those two guys will try to murder one another. That's that's very much what will happen. I mean, Ibushi might jump off the top of the Tokyo Dome if it means that it will kill Tetsuya Naito. So I am looking <laughs> forward to that. But then the winner of that match will go on to face Switchblade Jay White because Switchblade Jay White is taking night one off. Beast, I'm going to tell you right now, Switchblade Jay White is not taking night one off. Somehow, some way, this is going to end up with Evil versus Switchblade Jay White on night one of Wrestle Kingdom. And the winner of that match will go on to face whoever is holding the double gold on night two. That's what's going to end up happening. Interesting. Very interesting. It's good, though. I like it, you know, but uh, we'll see, I guess. But, uh, very interesting. I, mean, I love that they're building these intricate stories, though. It, it, do you think, though, uh, Abushi is going to end up getting the Duke over 
uh, Naito. Well, here's the thing. So this entire year, if you look at Kota Ibushi's year, he starts off January 4th inside of the Tokyo Dome and he loses. And then he goes on to night two inside of the Tokyo Dome and he loses. And then he goes and he wins the G1 for the second time back to back. And then he loses it to Switchblade Jay White. I mean, isn't it only fitting he went 0-2 in the Tokyo Dome last year. He goes 2-0 in the Tokyo Dome this year, defeating uh, okay. the guy who took the briefcase away from him. I mean, like that just that story feels like it just writes itself. Yeah, that's perfect. I like it. I look forward to it, man. It's exciting. That's good. The only other thing to comment on when it comes to Destino this week, it, it, I know you didn't see this, but it was freaking hilarious. So the night after, they do this big press conference, right? And Switchblade Jay White comes out, and he's wearing sunglasses and like a nice sweater, and he's got the briefcase with him and everything. He comes out, and he sits down, and he goes on like a 15-minute monologue about how much better he is than Kota Ibushi and how much better he is than evil, how much better he is than Naito. And he lays out like his entire story for the last two years and how the company keeps screwing him over. And then at the end he says, all right, anybody got any questions? Because there's like actually media and stuff present at a press conference, go figure. And this lady chimes up and she says, well, first I have to translate everything that you just said. And the look on his face when he was like, all of it, like word for word, <laughs> like he genuinely felt bad. It's the first time I've ever seen any kind of remorse on Swishblade Jay White's face. So this woman goes off and recites everything Jay White just said, but in Japanese. And in order to make sure that nobody was like, wow, Jay really feels bad. You know what he does in true heel form? Did you get all of it? Are you sure? <laughs> well, let me recap real quick. And he starts going again. Very nice. Fucking brilliant. Fucking brilliant. That's why he's the best heel in the freaking world right now. Guy is just absolutely fantastic. I will say it is it is very refreshing to see a heel that knows how to get heat and isn't just doing stuff to to get himself over like the to me because th that's why this works because he knows how to get heat and and it's it's basic old school wrestling 101. I mean granted in in, in, a, in a modern form but absolutely I, I agree with you. I, I really enjoyed his his work here and you could tell he he knows how to get heat and and that's essential to get people excited and to, uh, at the end of the day to, to sell those tickets because it, it makes people absolutely feel like they have to see him get his ass kicked. Yep. And when they keep taking it away from you and he keeps winning. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Perfect. And so, and so, yeah, I, that's where I like if Ibushi comes, comes back around, especially knowing that history of him losing last year and, and coming back and, and winning two nights in a row and, and finally defeating Jay White. It's a shame that they won't be able to to verbally respond because I feel like the, the response would be you know, almost deafening to, to hear that. But either way, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to, to see uh, how that goes down. It's great stuff, and I feel like this has been great stuff. Dr. Ted, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Why don't you tell people how to uh, keep up with you on social media, anything you want to plug, and uh, we'll let you get out of here and go to class. 
Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, I'm actually I'm in the middle of a leadership course. It's very interesting. My company's been offering it. So uh, uh, very excited to, to be doing that. That's literally what I'm doing right now. You after should this. be teaching but, uh, the class if it's about leadership, man. Here's the thing about true leadership is you're always learning, though. You always are learning. There's always stuff to learn. And that, that's truly what makes a good leader and, and is being humble enough to say, I don't know everything, but I'm sure going to do my damnedest to work as hard as I can to, to find out and, and keep learning. But it, not, not to get too deep into that, we, we could have a whole other podcast to talk about that. I'd love to actually go over some of the stuff I've learned. It's been some really cool stuff. But for those that want to follow me, usually for just random humor or for uh, random pictures of my dogs or just funny things that I see in general life, you can follow me both on Instagram and Twitter at Ted the Man Beast. Of course, like we talked earlier, you can catch me on the Monday Locker Room, both on twitch.tv slash Conspiracy Horseman and YouTube page uh, with Ben Hameen. And then I'm also uh, been helping every week putting together, when I'm putting together, sitting down with Rip Rogers, the hustler on the Patreon page over at Hameen Media Group. I, I don't know the URL on that, but I'm sure if you go to patreon.com and slash Hameen Media, uh, you'll find it. We do the FR podcast where Rip just talks about uh, his old wrestling stories. Actually, it, it, I was thinking about Japan this last one we did, Jargo. I'll have to send you the link. Uh, we literally, because uh, Rip worked in Japan a little bit and was saying his first night in Japan, he got the shit kicked out of him. And he said, well, I didn't want that to happen again. So the next night, you know what he did? He came out and, and he did the, the, the over flamboyant gay gimmick. And they didn't know what to do. And he said he got to the back. And he said, Giant Baba said, Rip, what, he said, what was that? And he said, I was, I was just trying to, trying to do more gimmick. And he goes, can you do that every night? And Rip said, yes, sir. And so the rest of the, the rest of the tour, he didn't have to get his ass kicked like everybody else. I guess he was, he was taking Yano's spot, but that's awesome. He was, he was able to have entertaining matches that the crowd loved without getting in there and get, getting hurt. So kudos to him for figuring out the smart way to, Hey, the paycheck was the same at the end of the day. I'd, I'd be the same way. I'd rather go out there and have fun and not get hurt. That's and, the idea. Going out there, pretend to be a tough guy. So anyway, I, I'll send you the link on that. That was pretty interesting to hear about his time in, in Japan and, and how things uh, developed around the time that he was there because I guess it was things were still developing around the time that he was going over there. I because I'm guessing that Jap- Japanese wrestling started a, a little later than American wrestling, but it's kind of grown into its own very own much. subculture. Um, uh, Japanese, but anyway, the Americans basically brought pro wrestling to Japan after World War II. Yes. That, that's what Rip was saying. He said the Americans came over and, and taught the Japanese, and then the Japanese took what the Americans taught them and basically built their own culture of of wrestling. And that's why it's it's different. But there's still you know the same kind of you know basics around wrestling having the appearance of just it's just a competition between athletes and finding out who the best truly is. Yeah, I mean for years Japanese booking was built around beating the Americans. You know, like you would be build up a monster heel like you know a Brody or somebody like that who would just run rap shot through the entire roster until you would finally get the Japanese hero to put him down, you know. That's that yeah. that's what their whole booking was built around in the early 70s. And yeah, it worked. Absolutely. Yeah, still does. Beast, one more question for you before we let you go. What What's do you that? think? You going to watch some more New Japan Pro Wrestling? How was this for an introduction? I, I think I'm definitely going to have to keep up with it. I, I will say I only have so many hours during the week also being a physical therapist and a, and a business manager and everything else. But I definitely will be keeping my eyes peeled. I'll be following it a lot more. Whenever I, I, I scroll past my wrestling news and see New Japan results, I'm, I'm going to be clicking uh 
probably I, I used to I'll be honest I'll, I'd probably never click before but I'll probably start clicking every time now just to see what's what's keeping up and uh, you know if, if you're still willing to, to, to slide me your uh, your info to get in on the on the new Japan stuff and uh, I, I might have to take advantage and, and continue to watch and, and follow the stories here absolutely man well I the, the only deal is if you're gonna use the info that means you got to come back to destino and we got to do more review shows this was fun all right our right, fair deal. I'll just the next time I'll be sure I, I watch the correct show first before we attempt to do this. Fantastic, <laughs> man. We'll do this again soon. Thanks. Absolutely. So that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button and toss us one of those five-star reviews to help us out in the algos. Destino is brought to you by our friends over at the HTM Podcast Network, HittingTheMarks.com, Hami Media Group, the PW Hustle Networks, and IndiePW.com. Find the show online at DestinoPod.com and across all social media at DestinoPod. Very special thanks to Dr. Ted McNaylor for joining me this week. Of course, now we're up to Best of the Super Juniors and World Tag League, so we'll have a midpoint update coming your way very, very soon. Until then, find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, be it Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, or iHeartRadio. Enjoy the break, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be back in your ear holes soon. We'll talk to you next time on Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast. I feel you in these walls You're a cold that creeping in Shimmer to my bones and